if any of you have come in late and uh, or are new to the church and you missed the announcement uh, during the first hour, we have the newcomers class. Uh, and if you go out these doors, go down the hall, last door on the right, uh, Pastor Ken is teaching the newcomers class uh, for those who are new to the church. Uh, so if you came in late or are new and missed that announcement, um, that class is going on down the hall. Uh, but you're more than welcome to stay here as well. Um, as I, uh, when I first heard the announcement uh, that Ron was teaching, I thought, that's cool, I'm off the hook and I can just sit back today. But uh, So uh, I'm, I'm on, apparently I'm still on, uh, so we'll see. It won't be too much of a letdown. I used to have a, when I was in seminary, we used to have a, one of the pastors would come speak. Uh, and uh, whenever he couldn't come, his assistant would come if, like, something happened and he couldn't show up last minute. And he would always say, uh, he'd always give some joke about, you know, you you showed up. It's like coming to the, uh, you know, the baseball, going to the baseball game, expecting to see this pitcher that you were really looking forward to. I don't know anything about the, the Tigers. So he'd say some pitch, some Tigers pitcher, and you got this backup guy. And so hopefully that's not how it is today for me. You got the backup here. Um, but I thought as we were getting ready to kind of start 2016 and uh, look, at, you know, going through the new year, it might be helpful to go through some uh, some principles that help guide our thinking, um, particularly in, in those times when difficult circumstances or or there's a big change coming up. So uh, some principles to help us as we we look at those issues, uh, as we contemplate our own lives. I think we're we're constantly confronted with situations when we're we're facing uh, difficult circumstances. Uh, a lot of times, if depending, you know, where, whatever stage you're at, you're at uh, a lot of times people are looking to you, maybe looking to you for answers. How do we deal with this situation? What do we do? We're unsure of how things are going to turn out. Uh, sometimes it's little things. Uh, you know, how are we going to finish up if you're in school? How am I going to get through this semester? You know, I got all this, all these classes, all these papers to do, tests coming up. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, it could be something like financial issues. You know, you have these bills coming. You know they're coming. You see them at the end of the month. Uh, or, you know, next month I have a uh, mortgage payment, this kind of thing. I don't know how I'm going to make this. But, you know, you, you can see them up on the horizon coming. Um, maybe it's a question of how you're going to respond to a work situation. You know, work is really starting to get busy. Uh, it's really stressing you out. You have a, a situation maybe with a, a fellow, a coworker, and uh, you're you're really trying to figure out how am I going to get through this because it's really beginning to, to cause a lot of stress in my life. But sometimes it's, it's a more serious event, a more life-changing event that we can come kind of see down on the, coming on the horizon. A lot of times those come with moving from different phases of life, singleness to married, uh, employed, unemployed. Maybe it's just retirement. It's working to retirement. Uh, married to widower. So those, those big uh, changes or shifts in life uh, can be very stressful, cause a lot of apprehension. Uh, I think we, um, uh, we we probably can all get a sense on that. We 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 realize that those those shifts in life can be stressful, and in some ways, sometimes a, a sudden event can be a lot easier to deal with in, in in some particular way. So if you're if you don't see this event coming and it just happens, you you just lose your job. Uh, of course, it's stressful. Uh, but you don't have time to think about it. But when you see, for instance, if you see, if in a job situation you can see things are changing, people are starting to lose their job, 
around you, people are being laid off, and you have time to start thinking about it, it can actually cause more stress than if it just happens all of a sudden. It's, I think it's just a product of how our minds work, right? We, we see some big event coming. Uh, we start imagining scenarios. We start trying to figure out strategies. How are we going to get through this? What can I do uh, to, to kind of work, these, work this situation out? And I think it's in those times, those stressful times, that we need to be reminded of some foundational truths. Uh, not, not simply the it'll be okay, right? So as Pastor Ken reminded us at the end, for, for a Christian, you, you do have that, that uh, truth. It'll be okay because, you know, we know how things are going to end. But sometimes when you're in the midst of a stressful situation, you need more than just the, the pat on the shoulder. Hey, it's going to be okay, right? Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad to hear it, but that's not helping me, right, at this particular time. I, I need more than just it's going to be okay to get through this. And I think good leaders help prepare people for that, right? So they're thinking ahead. That's the job of the leader, right? They're thinking of ahead. They see potential crisis. They see a situation that may be st- stressful coming down the line. And what do they do? They start working to uh, direct those fears into more constructive ways. They're think- uh, they refocus vision, uh, remind people how they got to where they were, right? Warn people about potential dangers. So that's kind of the job of a good leader, right? So we, throughout history, we have examples of leaders in our, even outside of, uh, the Bible. So even in our own culture, we have examples of leaders who, who saw this potential for change, potential for stress, and they sought to kind of, uh, work these situations so that things wouldn't, people wouldn't just fall apart when it happened, right? And one of those, uh, as we were, as I was kind of looking back through some, uh, some examples of this, one that really, uh, I thought was good is, uh, this transition at the end of World War II. So you have uh, America that, as it enters World War II, the America that entered World War II was not the same America that came out of World War II. There was a big change in culture, uh, a big change in the American society. Uh, there was just some articles and things been written about how Detroit played a key, key role in World War II, you know, the manufacturing base, all that we were able to do, you know, turning out tanks and bombers, shipping them overseas, and the impact that made. Uh, but you had, you know, just it changed American society uh, and all across the world, impacts that it had in, in all, uh, all areas of the world. And not just because of the war, but what happens after the war, right? So we have the world, uh, the war ending in Japan with the dropping of the atomic weapons. And you have this atomic age starting right at the end of World War II. You have a shift to the atomic age, uh, something that we don't think about as much now. But it was really at the forefront of people's minds. You have the, the Russian, uh, the Cold War with Russia going on and all these things kind of, uh, really just starting because you never had any, you didn't have a situation like that before, uh, before World War II. So as, as Harry Truman, who was, uh, t- getting ready to give up the presidency, turn it over to Dwight Eisenhower, he wanted to remind, uh, the people of, of the situation that they were facing, look back at, at kind of some history. And, uh, he, some of the difficulties of those early days when he first took over the presidency. The uh, decision to drop the atomic bomb, uh, which in, in his opinion saved countless lives, uh, both Japanese and American. So in, in dropping that bomb, he thought it was actually a, a good thing. He talked about the policies in the early days of the Cold War, so immediately ending 
World War II, he was still the president, and those first couple years of the Cold War with Russia and how the positive policies of America really helped to avert World War III, in his opinion. He also talked to the, the imminent and very real dangers of the new atomic age. Remember that the atomic age was only eight years old at that point. He also talked to the confidence he had in the people of the United States, the American people, that the people themselves would help move into a new golden era, a new golden, uh, wonderful golden age. And just before closing his, his speech at the end of his, his term, he mentioned the shared work ahead. He kind of build, he wanted to build the, the free world's strength and keep the peace. So this was a priority for him, and he wanted to make sure the people had that priority as well. Truman wanted the people to remember the difficulties that they had gone through together. He wanted the people to be prepared as there was uncertainties about the course ahead. His exhortations and reminders were meant to arm the people, as it were, so that they could press on to a great future together. And so we have biblical examples of this as well, of great leaders who, uh, with their farewell speeches, sought to put any doubt to rest, uh, who, uh, and they were who burdened to see the people realize what God had for them. So if you have, have a Bible, uh, we'll be looking at Joshua 23. So sixth book in your Bible um, from the Old Testament, chapter 23. Uh, in Joshua chapter 23, we have many of the same elements in Joshua's farewell speech that we have recorded from uh, a lot of farewell speeches by important leaders. So facing the impending reality of Joshua's death, the people would be apprehensive about what the future holds for them. The leaders would be worried about how they would carry on in the memory of his absence. There were great obstacles to still overcome in those coming days. How was Israel to move forward without their trusted and dedicated leader? In a lot of ways, we have those same circumstances for Christians today, right? There's uncertainty all around us. We can see uh, difficulties coming down the road, right? So we're, there's a big question right now. We enter the new year. We have an election, presidential election. They're bombarding us. Hey, if you like this guy, you know, this is going to happen. You got to worry about this big issue. So there, there's all this uncertainty uh, and uh, fear, uh, potential for fear. And we can see this both collectively as a church, right? So we have threats to the our, 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 our Christian worldview, uh, you know, with and but we also have in our own personal lives things that we're we're afraid of that uh, with the future uh, as we look to the future, uh, both near and far. And I think as we we think about these questions and changes, uh, it's helpful to read Joshua 23 and see what Joshua himself reminded the people about uh, in light of their current situation. And I think in in the course of his speech, he'll help us to answer the big question that we're looking to answer today: is how are we going to move forward? How are we going to finish the course set before us? So we see the uh, opening scenes in Joshua 23, verses 1 and 2. And it says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. As Joshua looks to prepare Israel for his departure from the scene. We have a picture of the importance and soberness of the situation. We see Israel's faithful leader, who, who, as he says, is a very old man at that point, bringing the nation together, gathering the people in order to give them, give them a final bit of instruction. Uh, the reader is given, that is us, is given a picture of, 
uh, a faithful service and an end to a great ministry. And so we first we look at the man, uh, Joshua himself. If, if we put ourselves, picture ourselves and kind of put ourselves in the, uh, the sandals of the, the Israelite at that time, we get a better understanding of what the situation uh, they're looking at. Every Israelite at that time, from the top of the culture to the bottom, would have known and liked, likely looked favorably, favorably on Joshua. You can, you can imagine the kind of stories that would go around uh, that were, were kind of circulating uh, among the Israelites about Joshua. You can, you can almost imagine. It would have been saying things like, oh man, you should have seen Joshua leading the army against the Amalekites. I mean, this guy was Moses' guy, right? Oh yeah, he, he went up with Moses to Mount Sinai. You know, people rehearsing these stories to each other. You can imagine an Israelite mother telling her child about how Moses had handpicked him and Caleb to go in and spy the land. We ourselves read about how Joshua received the uh, spiritual anointing for leadership in Numbers, in the book of Numbers. I won't take time uh, to read that section, but most of those present on the day would remember Joshua's commissioning by Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, and then repeated in Joshua 1.5, where it says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So uh, the Lord had hand, basically handpicked through Moses Joshua to lead the people. Joshua had been present through all these circumstances that the Israelites had gone through. The people had witnessed it. The people knew it. He would have been looked at favorably throughout the culture. So he served He served faithfully. He led the people courageously. He was obedient when others were wavering. He led the people with the distinction as they sought to obey the Lord and they sought to take ownership of the land that he had promised them. Joshua is presented to us throughout Scripture as an, the aged faithful leader who took the reins from Moses and led the people of Israel into the promised land. Although we're, we're tempted... Uh, I think, especially in our own culture here, to celebrate Joshua for his faithful service, right? We want to look to this guy. This guy's great, you know. He is the guy we should be emulating, right? But the first verse gives us a clue as to who really deserves the credit here, and that's the Lord. Joshua tells us that it was actually the Lord who had given the people the rest from their enemies. Joshua had seen God at work for so many years in his own life and in the lives of those around him. He had... He had held to the promises given, Joshua that is, had held to the promises given to him by the Lord that he would never leave him or, nor forsake him. And in light of this fact, he was sure to credit God with the success of bringing the people by his leadership to where they were now. And he, looking at the setting, Joshua tells us that Israel had been given rest from her enemies uh, at that time. Although they didn't fully possess the land, if we kind of look back at the, the larger picture, the Israelites hadn't fully possessed the land at that time. They were able to kind of catch their breaths from after all this warfare. They were able to kind of get some rest before they moved onwards and look back and reflect on all that had transpired over those years. We can imagine that if this is his, indeed his farewell speech, he's well over 100 years old at this time. And we have all Israel standing there represented by their leaders. There's a question, was it all Israel? Was it just their leaders? Uh, but whoever it was, it was meant to represent all of the nation standing there at this momentous occasion. Um, 
they were actually all there, able to, Israel was able to receive the charge, uh, whether from their leaders or uh, themselves. So we need also to mention here the importance of understanding the theological context of Joshua's speech. Israel was still under the Mosaic Covenant, right? So uh, which they had uh, entered in into as rehearsed uh, in the Israelites' ears uh, at the end of uh, Deuteronomy, the ch- uh, chapter 29. And I'll just read that quick section here. And this is Moses speaking to the people. All of you are standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives, and the foreigners living in the camps who chop the wood and carry your water, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm this day as his people, that he may be your God as he has promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only to with you who are here standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, but also with those who are not here today. So this is a, a covenant for the nation of Israel uh, that starts there with Moses and continues forward. And so that's kind of uh, something we need to keep in mind, some of the differences uh, from them today to us today. So if we can picture in our minds the situation, you have Joshua the aged, respected person standing up there before the Israelite community. The people themselves are all gathered there. Uh, you can, if you picture it in your mind's eye, for some reason in my ma- mind's eye, I have this like him standing up on a, like a pedestal or something and all the people looking there. And the people can all sense the gravity of the situation, right? They know Joshua's coming to the end of his, his time, the end of his service. They know that this is his farewell service. They know Joshua has been faithful throughout his his time. And they know it's time for him to step down. The context now is set for Joshua to begin addressing the people this one last time. You can almost get the sense of the crowd getting quiet as he begins to speak. And so he he rehearses for them in verses 3 through 5 how God had worked mightily on behalf of his people. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who had fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of the land as the Lord your God promised you. So in addressing this question of, of how they're going to move forward, how they're going to continue on the path that, that God had set, be, uh, set before them in his absence, he doesn't just come out and give them orders. He doesn't just come out and give them instructions, right? First thing he does, he reminds them of who it was who was actually brought them to, to where they were at that time, right? It was the Lord himself who fought the battles. It was the Lord himself who won the victories. The text records that. He said, it says, you yourselves... Witness this event. The people, like all people, need to be reminded of God's work on their behalf. In the same way that the Lord worked and fought on, on their behalf, it was only it would only be the Lord who would give them the final victory and rest that he had promised them, going all the way back to the Joshua chapter 1. And it, it's important for the Israelites to keep this fact in their mind, right? So he knew that. Uh, uh, especially at those times of, of stress and uncertainty. It was God's grace alone that had gotten to them to where they were 
God had promised through Moses to give them the ability and strength to persevere onward in light of the looming difficulties. Remembrance of God's work among them would give them the ability to push forward in the battles that lay ahead. It's not the same for us, right? So we, God gave the victories to Israel, and they reaped, and they, that is Israel, reaped the benefits, right? So God did the work, Israel got the benefits. We too, if we're honest, right, we have to admit that we're reaping the victory, the, excuse me, the benefits that Christ, that the, by the victory that Christ had won. When we look back on our own lives, the ultimate victory over, over death was won by whom? When we think about the difficulties that we've gone through in the past, it was God's sustaining grace that got us and carried us here. When we reflect on the, the good things that we have or the good things we don't have, is it not God who has ordained these things? Sitting here today, we can easily see what it would be like to live in a nation without religious freedom, right? If we think about our own situation, sitting here in America, 21st century, the benefits we have, we, that we have of living in a country where we can practice Christ, our Christian faith freely and openly, you can see on the news what it's like for those that can't do that, right? We, we see it every day. A mature Christian reflecting back on, on his or her life will often see the evidence of God's grace even before they were saved, right? So if you were saved, it's one thing if you were saved as a child, right? We can remember that, and that's, that's, we're thankful for when those happen. But if you were saved as an adult, you can all, a lot of times look back on before you were a Christian and see God's hand at work in your life. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of the, the day of Christ Jesus. Christians can have full confidence in God's sustaining presence as He is empowers, excuse me, as He empowers His people to persevere. But before we move on, uh, we we need to think about why it's important to reflect on God's goodness to us. Why why do we need to do this? Why do we need to rehearse what God has done uh, on our behalf? What, what purpose does this accomplish in our life? Reflecting back on the things of God that God has done reminds us of who God is. We see his attributes in action. We need to push our, our thinking beyond simply acknowledging the things that God has done, even though they were and they are good, to acknowledging that, that God has done these things that are consistent with his character. Why, why, why is it important for me to make this distinction at this point? Because, because if you reflect on God's character, it gives you the framework, the grid, for dealing with those times of difficulty. After all, it's, it's easy to say God is good when we've been blessed in some way, right? That was unexpected or undeserved. But we need a solid foundation to say God is good when there's tragedy. This person whom I love dearly is near death, but God is good. I've lost everything, but God is good. I've just gotten some bad news from the doctor today, but God is good. Right? So you need that, that grid because it, it, it's those times that it's when you don't see the goodness that you have to remember about God's, who God is. So the first part of the answer of how are we going to move forward and finish the course set before us is we must remember that is, it is God who is at work. God is the ultimate agent working through his servants to accomplish his will. Joshua, as a biblically faithful leader, wanted the Israelites not to focus on him or to focus on themselves, but rather to look to God as the one who is ultimately, who would ultimately bring about the victories and promises and the rest that he promised. Their responsibility was simply to obey his commands, right? We go back, if we go back to Joshua 
chapter 1, it says in verse 7, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do, do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua now reminds them of the Lord's commands in the second part of his message. Israel's covenant relationship to Yahweh, that is the Lord, meant that it was, imp- it was necessary to obey and keep the law as given in the Mosaic Code. The importance of this law for the Israelite meant that the, Israel's faithful leader, he must, he had to exhort them to obedience to this law. So if we, the next section uh, I've kind of entitled, Don't Stop or Keep on Trucking. I don't know if people, I doubt people say that anymore. But uh, I don't know why, why it popped in my head. So verses 6 through 13. Joshua says, be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of the gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, not one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will be snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Israel's faithful leader gives the people a series of exhortations, some encouragement, some prohibition, and he bases these commands on God's word. Uh, He refers back to the book of the law of Moses in verse 6. All of what Joshua is telling the people is based on previous revelation, right? It's nothing new. He didn't seek to give the people some new revelation. He wanted the Israelites to be grounded in God's uh, what God had spoken through Moses previously. Furthermore, the people needed to be reminded of the dangers of association with the pagan nations that surrounded them. This was because of what was what would follow from associating, which Joshua tells them in, in this section. They would be led into apostasy. He tells them, don't be led astray. He exhorts the people, keep and do all that is written in the book of law. Cling to the Lord your God. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Over and over in this section, he reminds the people of their duty, all the more pressing since they were surrounded by the pagan nations. He reminds the people again of the Lord's faithfulness toward them in verses 9 through 11. Their success, their successes, the very peace that they were currently enjoying was all due to God's promises and his fulfilling of them uh, in their midst. Following these commands, he tells the people to be sure to love the Lord your God, as I pointed out. And there is a parallel thought here in verse 8. He says, hold fast to the Lord your God. Now he says, love the Lord your God. The love that Israel was to have for the Lord was an exclusive one. The emphasis for the listener is clear. Hold fast, cling, love and serve. He also gives them this reminder of their distinctfulness and the need to not intermarry or associate with these nations that were still there. This this reminder it, it takes us back to the Lord uh, Lord's words to Moses in Deuteronomy. We need to, to take notice of what the language Joshua is using here, right? 
These nations would be a snare, a trap, whips on your back, thorns in your eyes. The imagery that he's using was meant to impress upon the listener the truly negative consequences of association with those countries around them. Think about these words, right? Snares and traps. That sounds bad, right? I don't want to fall into a snare or a trap, right? But thorns in your eyes, whips on your backs. We can almost picture a situation, right, where someone says, "It's really, is it really so bad to, to marry, have our, our daughter marry this guy from, you know, one of our neighbors? And he's a good guy. You know, he seems like he's pretty moral. They're good people, right? No, Joshua is telling them, these people will be like thorns in your eyes. He wanted to do everything he could to exhort the people to faithful service and loving devotion to the Lord. And in many ways, is it not the same way for us? As Christians, we can see the, the dangers of worldly association around us, right? We live in this paradoxical situation. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ, but we're also citizens and neighbors and employees. We live and work and make our lives in the midst of the world. We have to strive to not let ourselves or our families be too closely associated with the world. Jesus reminded us of this in John 17, uh, verses 13 through 19. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that there may, they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Just as we may, we must constantly remind ourselves of God's work in our lives for our benefit, we also must heed those commands that are given to us, right? That we don't stumble on the path. Whereas Israel was expected to, to obey as part of their covenantal obligations, that Mosaic covenant, as I pointed out, we respond with obedience out of gratefulness, a humble submission to a, to a Lord and Savior. Jesus told the Pharisees when questions about, questioned about the greatest commandment, that they must love the Lord their, your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind in Matthew 22. To love God, to love Jesus, is to keep the commands he has given, right? And that's John fourteen twenty one. Israel was bound by covenant to keep the law. Christians do so out of loving gratitude because of the Savior who bore the wrath that we deserve, that we earned. And we know this, right? We may agree with this, but will we, will we still warn our children? Will we still warn those who we have charge over, who we have the spiritual care over? We need to emphasize the importance of faithfulness to God on one hand and the, the dangers of uh, association with the world on the other. Not, not because it's a preference, right? Not because this is what we do. You know, we Baptists, we're Christian, we do this, we don't do that because we're Baptists, right? We don't go to movies. We're just joking with some guys. Uh, you know, we went to see Star Wars, right? So when I was first became a Christian and as an adult and I started going to Baptist church, uh, people didn't go to church, to movies, or at least they didn't talk about it, right? You didn't admit that you went to movies. But, uh, now, you know, now you, you don't think about it. But, you know, this idea, the tradition, we don't go, to, we don't go because we're Baptists, we don't go, now. you know, we don't want to be thinking that way, right? It's not a, a preference, uh, but, but we realize, as Joshua reminded us, that actually eternity is at stake here. 
So in 14 through 17, we have this closing scene. Uh, there are consequences for disobedience to God. This is the, the third point, right? So we, there are consequences for disobedience to God. I won't read it uh, for the sake of time. Uh, in the final scene, Joshua reminds the people that if the people really searched their thoughts and inner person, they would have to acknowledge the Lord's faithfulness to them. No, Not one promise that God had given them had failed. Joshua gives a sober and stern warning that just as God had remained faithful to his word in bringing them into the promised land and subduing the people before them, he will keep his word with regard to the covenantal curses for disobedience, right? So if, if they obeyed as part, part of the Mosaic covenant, Obedience brought, brought blessing, disobedience brought, brought cursing. As the people listen to these words, uh, especially verse 16, having just remember had God had routed the armies, right? So the, 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 the battles that they had just fought were still fresh in many of their minds. Joshua's words that God would turn his burning anger on them must have hit them like a ton of bricks, right? They just saw what God did to these nations around them. And so Joshua telling them, hey, what, what God did to them, he'll do to you if you disobey and, uh, as part of this, this covenant. Israel, Israel's faithful leader was warning them of the very real danger of apostasy. All that the people had gained, the promised land that they had inhabited, would be taken away if they violated this covenant. So as, as we're sitting here today, right, we're not bound to God by the same relationship as Israel. There's still serious implications for disobedience to God, though. The warnings for, for obe- or excuse me, uh, disobedience are still useful for God's people today. The warning passages in the Bible, especially those in the New Testament, uh, help us to not be self-reliant in our faith, to continue persevering in our faith through steadfast reliance on our God. So if we look in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews echoes these similar warnings for be- uh, believers today. In 3.6, he says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We're not bound by the Mosaic Covenant. We'll not face the same curses that Israel will face. But the warnings of Scripture are still useful for us. And as the author of Hebrews, he uses this if-then language, right? So if if you uh, hold firmly, then... Uh, if that is, if we persevere, then we know we're God's people, right? If we don't persevere, then we know we're not God's people. So there's the, that kind of uh, the idea there of the, the warning passages. Not so much a cursing, but it's a um, it's to give you confidence in, in many respects. So so one further point before we get to the conclusion, I, I promise this this lesson has a has, does will come to an end at some point, is that we don't want to miss the corporate nature of the ad- the address here and of so much of scripture so much of the new testament is aimed at at uh, about the body Joshua didn't take people one by one right he's not telling them hey carolyn come with me i got i we have our final meeting you know i'm getting ready to step down and we need to we need to talk no he's he brings everybody together and uh part of the strategy for success with it is that they would do it together right they were a distinct community God's chosen nation among all the nations. And today, we're part of this community. Use that word, right? Community, community. Keep plugging it. Uh, We're part of this community called the church. Our Christian lives weren't meant to be lived out solo. The idea that we can have a Christian walk that is just me and God, right? So sometimes that used to be this, all I need is God, just me and him doing our thing. 
right? It doesn't jive or doesn't correlate with the rest of Scripture. God is calling a people to himself. He's not just saving individuals. He is saving a people and placing them into the body of Christ. So that's the side note. We want to make sure there's a corporate, remember the corporate aspect. So in conclusion, Joshua serves as a faithful witness to service of service to God. His farewell speech was in many ways similar to ones that we have heard ourselves. There's an important and key difference, though, we need to take note of. Joshua gives all the credit to God. He acknowledged his dependence on God and God's faithfulness to his word on behalf of Israel. And he exhorted the people to remember their covenants at Yahweh, to keep it, but also don't break it. The emphasis of this section, of, of indeed the entire book, is God's faithfulness to Israel and fulfilling his covenant promises to them. God is the one who fought, fought and ultimately won those battles. He brought the people into the land that he had promised to their forefathers. He gave them the godly and capable leadership that they had. And it was the Lord who would bring about the covenant curses if they acted in a rebellious manner. Joshua urged the Israelites to reflect back on these things as they faced uncertainty, as they were thinking about how are we going to move forward, how are we going to get through the situation when we no longer have Joshua. He wanted them to reflect back on who actually was responsible for getting them where they were. When we're faced with these big changes, right, uncertain futures, we need we, ourselves, we need to reflect back on God's faithfulness, on, reflect back on who God is. For God's people today, our biggest problem has been defeated. Sin and death no longer have control over us, right? Just as God controlled all things for the Israelites, he is still in control of all things, and he's still moving history toward his appointed goal. So the answer to the question that we kind of posed at the beginning is how are we going to move forward? How are we going to finish this course set before us? Is that God's people can only move forward in humble, faithful reliance on him. When faced with those times of uncertainty, we need to remember, reflect back on who God is and what he has done. Keep pressing, keep trucking, right? Keep going. Don't stop. Uh, and and, and uh, keep moving towards that goal in light of what he has promised in his word. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we uh, just thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Uh, We know that there is uh, much uncertainty out there, both in our individual lives and in uh, the lives uh, corporately as a church. But we acknowledge that you are in control, that you are sovereign over your creation, And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to keep that in our minds, keep that fresh in our hearts. Lord, we pray that uh, the truths that we we looked at today would be helpful for us as we uh, go about our, our lives this week. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.